All right, Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, the 26th of June, 2021. That makes this solder smoke. 231, crank it in, Ralph. 231, crank it in. All right, crank it in, Ralph. 231, this is our annual field day special edition. Pete and I are, as is our custom, ignoring the field day activities. We are both situated in the comfort of our air-conditioned ham shacks, enjoying peace, tranquility, and a freedom from mosquitoes. Good luck to you, those who are, of you who are out there practicing for, for I don't know, Armageddon, an emergency. You're out, you're out there preparing and, and ready to go. So anyway, uh, we, I do have some, 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 uh, some, some, some field day related stuff to talk about, Pete. Um, first of all, travelogue. We were actually traveling. We actually did some traveling. We went from the sit situation, stay in the shack, to actually uh, going out and getting on an airplane and taking a trip. We went down to the Dominican Republic to, wis- to visit my wife's uh, elderly parents. Uh, my wife hadn't been able to do this for about 15 months, so we were, we were pleased to be able to, to do that finally. And we, we got down there, and, uh, and I brought with me a little, a little portable rig. Ooh. I brought a, an SST. I think it's the super simple transceiver. It's a little 20-meter crystal-controlled um, CW rig. Puts out about one or two watts. Uh, it was given to me by uh, my friend Bob Scott, KD4EBM, and he sent it to me, and then I, I looked at it, and I said, wow, this is really something. It's It was designed by Wayne Burdick, N6KR, and it's a neat little rig. It's built around the NE602 chip. Very, very simple in, in design, and really a lot of fun. I made a few contacts with it here on the workbench, and then I decided to just throw it in the bag when we were going down to the Dominican Republic, and I brought it with me. Made a few, con- made one contact, only one, because you, you know, you had mentioned that band conditions are pretty, pretty lousy. So even with band, ba- bad band conditions, and with a um, an NFED half wave antenna tuned with a QRP guys NFED half wave tuner, I was able to get on the air. I, I was able to make one contact from the eastern part of, of the island of Hispaniola. And that was pretty cool. The other guy was a, uh, was a QRP station also. And, and then I, I called CQ a lot, and I could see myself showing up on the reverse beacon network, but there were no other takers. So it was only a one-contact de-expedition to Hotel India Land. But it was fun. I, I noticed something, Pete. I noticed, I, I, as I was sitting there forlornly calling CQ on, on CW with the SST, I kind of noticed that there was a lot of activity not in the CW portion of the band, not a lot of activity in the phone portion of the band, FT8. It's, uh, I, I don't know, I, I was, I was kind of jealous because I, would, I was able, because I had a laptop with me to take a look at the web SDR transceiver of NA5B, uh, Mehmet, who's up here in Washington. So I could see what was going on on the bands. And like I said, not a lot of activity on, on, on the CW portion of the band. Certainly not a lot in the QRP portion of the 20-meter band. There was a lot more activity down around 14030. But if you go up around 14060, which is where the QRP portion of the band is and where I have the, the, the SSC set up to operate, just not a lot there. I mean, not a lot. And then I would I would look on the on on Mehmet's uh, waterfall, and you go up around fourteen oh seven three, where is the uh, the the FT eight portion of the band? Holy cow! So many signals there. I was thinking, 
geez, I wish I had, I wish I had FT8. I could, I could, could talk to people. So I don't know. I don't know. It may be, you know, I've been re- resisting FT8. I made, I think I made a couple contacts with it once, but for portable operations like this, it might be the way to go. So the, the real eye opener is to go on 17 meters. Yeah. 18.1. Yeah. You, you'll think the band is dead. And you only see one spot on the spectrum, 18.1, and that thing is loaded with FT8. There's no CW signals, no phone signals, but FT8. Wow. I mean, it's really, it's something to think about, especially on a portable operation like this. Now, you'd need, you need to have a computer with you. I have, a, I have a little Chromebook, but I don't think I could get FT8 on a Chromebook. What, uh, you, 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 Raspberry Pi? Yeah, I would, I would, that's what I'm thinking. Another little box, perhaps the size of the SST. The SST is about the size of a deck of cards or a pack of cigarettes you know you can get the treatex display that plugs right into the raspberry pi uh-huh. so it's only it only adds about an eighth of an inch to the top of it that's the display so you wow. have the whole computer palm of your hand wow i could so, so i have two little boxes one with the sst that i would modify for the right frequencies and then the other would be the uh the raspberry pi which would run the computer and everything else so that'd be, yeah. that'd be pretty cool and you can get a keyboard that fits in your shirt pocket. Oh, man. So I, I might be in business. That might be my, my next uh, kind of um, uh, portable kind of field day operation. Now, when we were out on the eastern portion of the island, we were in a, in a house. And so I had a, we had a little yard, and I was able to throw the, uh, the antenna up into one of the palm trees. And that was, that was kind of fun. Uh, but conditions weren't great. But by the time we then we moved into Santo Domingo, the capital, and we were in an apartment up on the twelfth floor. The view was spectacular. I mean, I had a great view to the west. But you know, you're in there close to the uh, to the building, and I I managed to stretch the antenna, the NFED halfwave out along the balconies without disturbing the uh, the neighbors or incurring the wrath of the building management or anything like that. But it was just not. I was just not getting out. I, I called CQ a lot, and I was only picked up by one, one skimmer, one reverse beacon network skimmer up in the United States. So that was kind of fun to see that. But uh, man, I think uh, you know, sitting there pounding CW on a on a homebrew straight key and not getting any answers is kind of disheartening. Whereas I think the FT8 would be a lot more a lot more rewarding. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to give that a try. Well, well the other advantage is you're only when you're only operating a single frequency. Like yeah. on CW, but FT8, yeah. that frequency everybody uses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know the and the SST is it's crystal controlled. It has uh, uh, it has some tuning in there. You can you can wiggle it. It's 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 a little bit of a Varactor tuning going on in there. But it would be I think if you got the right crystal at around eighteen, you need a crystal around eighteen megahertz. So I'd have to see about how to put that thing on the FFT on, on the FT8 frequency. But wow, look at this, Pete. We're sliding into FT8 here. Kind of scary. Kind of scary. Hey, uh, I have other news to report. Other little bit of travel on our part. We went up to Pennsylvania, to your old homeland up there, Pete. <clears throat> and we did it to buy a dog. Ooh. You know, our, our Capucho, who, comp- who accompanied us here for many, many years, for 10 years on the podcast, uh, died back in uh, November. And so... We, I, I don't know. I thought we might never get another dog here, but my wife started. Oh, she, she, really, she's a dog person. She needed a dog, and so I, I kind of insisted. I said, "Look, it just can't be a big dog anymore. I can't handle a seventy-five pound dog." So we went to the other extreme, and we got 
the smallest, tiniest little dog you could imagine. It's a Maltese. And this thing is going to be uh, six pounds or seven pounds max when it's fully grown. So it's a tiny little thing. But he's, he's really beautiful. His name is Guapo. Guapo in Spanish means normally means like handsome, but it also can mean kind of angry or angry or angry or handsome, depending on the, the, the context. So he's guapo, and I, I will put a picture of him up on the uh, on the blog. He's when cute dog. This thing. He, he's beautiful, he, and he's really nice, and he's he's small. He's easy to, to operate with, and so that was our other trick. So, our other so trip. was this a breeder that you got? Yeah, we, went up, we found a breeder. It's it's really hard to find dogs now. I mean, it's amazing. We 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 it's it's uh, there's a there seems to be I don't know if it's related to the pandemic or what, but it's hard to find uh, hard to find dogs, and so we had to, we had to travel quite a bit. It's like a two-hour drive up to Pennsylvania to pick up the dog and bring him back. But uh, anyway, we, we got that done. And uh, so now we have Guapo from the uh, Pennsylvanian Guapo here with us. And uh, he, I'm sure he'll be sitting with me in the shack. Right now he's out sitting with Elisa, but I'm sure he'll be with me here in the shack for a while. Um, anyway, we also had another another major event was Father's Day. You and I both celebrated Father's Day. And every, I know many others out there in our listening audience did also. And... Uh, I had a great, I had a great Father's Day. Well, I, actually, it was on Father's Day. It was the day we went up to get Guapo. So I think, in a certain sense, Guapo was my uh, my my Father's Day present. But I also got a tiny SA, the Spectrum Analyzer, little tiny nice. SA. So uh, my 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 uh, my workbench has improved. I I haven't been messing with it too much, but I've been looking at a couple of videos. I've really been working more with the Nano VNA, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I noticed, Pete, you got a nice Father's Day gift too. Yes. The glasses. <laughs> glasses. Chick, Man, you, the new you, chick magnet. Holy cow. If you wear the beret and the glasses, and we had somebody write in talking about how you could get a little emblem, like a radio emblem that would go yes. on a beret. Man, you, we might have to alert the authorities there at Newberry yes. Park. This could be, uh, you know, could create civil unrest. Yeah. Well, I, I, got the, uh, I got the sunglasses, a pair of Ferragamos from my son in New York. I saw them. They looked really snazzy. And and when I first got the box, I said, what's he doing? Buy me a pair of O.J. Simpson gloves. <laughs> <laughs> We're out there in California, you know. Yeah, 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 you know. So then, then I looked, and he, he's, he said, wear these. You'll get noticed. <laughs> wow, they're quite stunning. Hey, listen, I don't want to go into details, but you sent a picture earlier. You were wearing like kind of a, like kind of a blue Hawaiian shirt. That was one of the best pictures that I think Dean commented on it. Also, one of the best pictures, best Pete Giuliano pictures we've ever seen. That was oh, with really my good. granddaughter. With the new granddaughter, I'm glad you mentioned it. She's beautiful. <laughs> yes. And man, you 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 look so happy sitting there with your granddaughter, uh, Dean. Dean I, I I called Elisa and I said, "Come in, take a look at Pete. Look how great he is here. He's with the granddaughter." And there, she there, said, "Oh, it's a wonderful picture." And then Dean Dean immediately chimed in and said, "What a what a fantastic picture." There, there's an interesting story about that. Uh, I'm holding my granddaughter, and so I'm saying to my son and my daughter-in-law, "I said, I'm going to share something with you." And to my little granddaughter, Luca Jade, I said, now you need to listen to your mom and dad because they're going to provide you wisdom and, and counsel and, and they're, they're going to set you right and you need to always listen to them. But you need to listen to your grandpa for, for some of the life's uh, things on the life's path. And I said, 
When it comes down to it, marry the guy with the money. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the singer was coming there anyway. But it, but, but it, looked, it looked like we had some, some great, great family gatherings now that we're sort of out of sits territory, hopefully. Anyway, so I'm glad you got together with everybody there, Pete. And those glasses, like I said, they're, they're really, really cool. All right, time to start talking about radio. Yes. Um, why, why don't you go first? You, you've, got, you've had a lot of activity, Pete. What's going on? Well, it's like a potpourri. Um, I did pick up a really inexpensive uh, Drake uh, T4X, and then I found uh, an R4A, and I put them together. And, you know, that's kind of a problem when you buy all the gear, especially gear that's 50, 60 years old. You get them for these bargains, but you always got the lid open and you got the screwdriver in there and you're fixing something. Uh, some people who fix stuff don't do a very good job. Like I found in the R4A, there were a lot of substituted parts. There were a couple of transistors in there. The prior owner couldn't find them. He just slapped anything in there. And, and of course, it sort of worked, but not worked real well. So you spent a lot of time under the hood. Like, for instance, with the AVC off, it worked. Put the AVC on, the re receiver goes dead. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, same well, you know it works, but the ABC, so there was a transistor in there that controls the fast and slow. He had a sub in there, and after a while, it was on a ragged edge, and it blows. So, oh. you know, you just go nuts with stuff like that. And uh, and so, uh, also, I, I did finish my version of the Spillsbury Tyndall SBX 11A. <laughs> The Spillsbury Tyndall, man. It like it sounds sort of like the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. So um, I spent a little time in that. And, you know, uh, when you spend time in the shack, you went through this. You fix a lot of stuff. Yeah. You work a lot of stuff. And I, I convinced myself if I was going to get on field day, I wouldn't do it with the Drake line. I'd use the Collins. Uh, I mean, the Drake line, even though, even though all the stuff that I did, uh, the receiver's noisy. I mean... There, there's some things in there he must have done that I, I haven't found as yet. But but you put on 20 meters, and, and the signals are masked by the receiver. You put the Collins on, and you can hear the signals. So a lot more work, and it's just like, ugh. I know. know. It, it's some, it's sort of like, um, I hate to say it, but it's sort of like, like um, I don't know, you taking on other people's problems and, and mistakes that other people made and trying to de you know, yeah. kind of detect them and go through them and everything else. I mean, having something broken and, and finding the fault is a kind of a cool troubleshooting project. But then having to go back and undo the bad yeah. mods and repairs made by somebody yeah. else or several other people, that can be kind of frustrating. Yeah. But but I do want to share with you, you, you know, we talk about homebrew versus kits, kit building. I, I want to share with you about a kit building experience I had. And it has nothing to do with radio. It was the Weber Spirit E310 grill. I have never seen a kit like this before from Weber Barbecue. I, I needed to get a new barbecue because we're going to have a 4th of July, small 4th of July event. Bill, this came in a box that had so much packing in it. I don't know how they got all the stuff in there. And, and the instruction manual was absolutely superb. Uh, was reminding you of the early heat kits. All the parts fit. You fit tab A and slot B, and it fits, and it lines up with the bowl hole. And and so when I got done, I had a bag of parts left, and I said, uh oh. And then, 
<laughs> then I looked at the bag. It says, these spare parts are provided to you in case you lost something or missed something. I So he, they even packed the spare parts in there, which, which makes it kind of nice. The form, fit, and function are just absolutely amazing. And in instruction set, you know, I'm very sensitive to... When I worked in aerospace, we, we'd got guys that write planning paper that you get two steps down the line and to make the next install, you have to take apart what you did two steps ago because it's in the way. And none of that. You just, they had 47 pictures and <laughs> you do the 47 pictures and it goes together and the last, you put the last bolt in, it's the last bolt. You didn't have to undo anything. I just sounds, never sounds, have seen anything like this. Sounds like they they hired some guys from Heathkit or, or the Heathkit Techniques. No, it's they hired guys that build stuff. They hired yeah. guys that some guy didn't sit in front of a computer and say, well, put this thing together. Some guy actually built it and then documented what they did. And, and, and I wish the ham kits were like that because they're not. And a lot of the, even the ham kits, some of the parts don't fit on the board. So, I mean, my hat's off to Weber. All right, all right. A good kit building experience there. Yeah, excellent. Hey, but speaking about instructions to build things, you've got an article in Sprat. Oh yeah. And I and let's talk about that because I have my my issue, my current issue of Sprat. One eighty seven. One eighty seven, summer twenty twenty one. If you're not subscribed, Pete, what's the answer? You're wrong. That's it. You're just wrong. And we've gotten a lot of people who are now on the path towards righteousness as a result of us. Pointing out, I'm, I'm opening up here to page four, direct conversion receiver project by Pete Giuliano N6QW, and it says here the directs this direct conversion receiver occurred accidentally in Solder Smoke Podcast number 224. Bill Mara mentioned the fine work of Paul Taylor VK3HN, who built a four-band rig based in, on a part of the project found in solid-state design for the radio amateur. Luckily, Paul found an assembly at a radio rally composed of an IF module, 2 times 40673 gig module, and a transmitter mixer stage, MC1496 double balance mixer. Boom! Time to think about using the MC1496 IC, eh? Good stuff. Hey, hey, look look at the front cover. I'm looking at the front cover. Okay, and and what do you see on the front cover? I see basically the um, 16 by 2 LCD with uh a, a, it looks like an arduino and an si5351 yeah that's the wiring diagram so i got an email from a guy who said you didn't tell me how to wire this thing up i said look at the front cover <laughs> <laughs> do i have to draw you a picture i already did <laughs> i have had 50 requests for the code and, and it's from primarily from the UK, Germany, France, Italy, a um, couple in the US. And, and the guys, it's really interesting because what caught their attention was not only the direct conversion receiver, but the fact that you could use an Arduino with it. And some see this as a stepping stone to be able to start to work with the Arduino. And what convinced them is when they listened to the YouTube video. And they listened to the receiver and how good it sounded. So they got taken by it. Hey, there you go. And I mean, you got so much response. And I like your, your technique that you, you, you hold back on the code until somebody writes to you, right? Is yeah. That, and that way you know who's actually building it. Yeah. Because it's easy for guys to just, hey, yeah, I'll take a look, look at it. Yeah, I'll take a look at that. But, but no, you, you, when they actually have to write to you and ask for the code, 
So, wow, that, that's pretty good. Yeah, it, yeah there, there's 30 guys in the U.K. building this thing. And and I keep saying to them, you ought to form a users group. Yeah, I know. You know, I, I was um, looking at something like this. Um, I, I was reading, just, I was thinking about Dean, because Dean's got this building group there at Vienna Wireless Society that's really doing great things with your simple SSB transceiver. But there's an, a long history of this. In the early days of ham radio, in the early days of single sideband, there was a guy, God, I forget his call, but he was an optometrist. He was one of the early builders of SSB rigs. It wasn't, wasn't Tony Vitale. It was another guy of the same generation. And this guy was building SSB rigs, and he decided that he wanted to build it with other people, but there were so few people doing it at the time that he ended up working with guys in South Africa. So this guy was up in New Jersey, and they were building SSB rigs, and his sort of builders group included a bunch of guys in South Africa. I'll get, I'll get the info and put it up on the, on the blog when I post this. But it just, it just sort of kind of reminded me of the, the, the happiness of building stuff in conjunction with others. So I'm glad you've got a whole bunch of, you've got a, you've got a loyal following there who are going to be experiencing the joys of direct conversion. I was. I actually talked to some of the Sprat guys, and they said, "You got fifty people requests for code." And he said, "That's kind of a record." <laughs> I, that's, that's, that's that's pretty pretty darn good, you know. And the direct conversion receiver, I, I like like you said, listening to it, it's it's a you makes you a believer. I, I have a little experience with this because one of my uh, early. Um, double sideband rigs with a little portable rig that I would take with me. Again, a field day theme here. I would take this little thing. It's about the size of a book. And I would take it with me down to the Dominican Republic, took it to France, been a few other places. At times it was on 17 meters. At times it's on 20 meters. It's on 20 meters now. But I was looking at it. After we came back from the Dominican Republic, I was thinking, where is that thing? And I kind of pulled it off the shelf and dusted it off. I applied power. Man, I was listening to that thing. It's a direct conversion receiver. Uh, it sounds so good, and, it, and it's, it's based on an article out of, out of Sprat, and it uses nothing but NE602s and LM386s, and it's really, really nice. And so I, I was thinking about your, your direct conversion receiver, and you get, the, you get the presence, Pete. You feel close to you the do. ether. You do. You really do. So good luck with everybody who's building that, and, and wow, congratulations to you for <laughs> Making the cover on the like, like we talk about the cover of the Rolling Stone, the cover of the Sprat magazine. It's also a wiring diagram. <laughs> the thrill that'll hit you when you get your picture on the cover of Sprat. <laughs> Excellent. Any anything else, Pete? Anything else happening on the bench? No, but I I may be toying with the idea of building a companion transmitter to go with it. Oh, that there you go. Will it will it be double sideband? No, no, no. CW. CW. Okay. All right. CW. I don't know. Kind of out of character there, Pete. <laughs> I, I suggest double. You should do double sideband. Do a double sideband transmitter to go with it. It'd be so easy because you've already got the oscillator running at the operating frequency. All you need is a balanced modulator, a mic amp, and some, ampli some RF amplification. That would be a big hit. Because there's so many guys now who are getting into it who are never really going to learn CW. But, but if you say, hey, this is a phone rig, a simple phone rig, it's so simple to add a double sideband transmitter 
to a, a direct conversion receiver. That's that's what you should do. I'm going to start a lobbying campaign. Everybody, write to Pete Giuliano. Tell him to do it. <laughs> and, and we could use another 1496 as the balance modulator. There you go. Now, the 1496 has got a Gilbert cell in it, right? Is it a Gilbert uh, cell? Yeah, like yeah. a Gilbert cell, yes. That's 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 been sort of causing me trouble. I, I think this is a good way to transition over to my portion of the work yes. now, Pete. Yes, go. Be, because since we're talking about Gilbert cells... And we're talking about this um, double sideband transceiver that I built and the SST. All these rigs have NE602 chips in them. The SST is all, all about NE602. My double sideband transceiver, NE602s. So many of the QRP rigs, NE602s, and they all have at their heart the Gilbert cell. Barry Gilbert designed this thing in the mid-60s. And it was originally a chip that was going to go into early cell phones it was going to be used in cell phones the thing is that he he wanted to do he what he was trying to do was to come up with the equivalent of a diode ring mixer but he wanted to do it on an ic so he couldn't have any big coils coils were the showstopper because on a diode ring mixer those coils the the input trifiller transformer and the output trifiller transformer that's really where the heart of the mixing takes place the multiplication by one and negative one takes place because of that interacting with the diodes that are being switched but he could he needed something where you could have the same effect but without the big fat ugly coils that couldn't fit into a little ic chip so he came up with the uh, the gilbert cell I have always known that I don't really understand the Gilbert cell. I don't. And so, I, of course, Gene Shepard's voice was echoing in the back of my head saying, you need to understand this thing. So I started trying to understand it. I think I'm mostly there. But I got to say, a lot of the expl written explanations that appear in the books and everything else, you could tell there's a lot of hand-waving. You could tell when the guy who's explaining it suddenly, you realize, oh, wait a second, he doesn't understand it either. And he starts just saying, well, you know, you just have to realize that because of the math, some indifference products come out. All right. Well, okay. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm working on, I'm still working on trying to get my head around the Gilbert cell. Uh, I'm almost there. The guy who's really been helping me is Alan W2AEW, who I do think really understands it. But getting me to understand it is a little bit more difficult. So thanks to Alan for, for, for helping me uh, with that. But uh, anyway, I, I mentioned the SST transceiver, uh, and we, we, we talked about that quite a bit. I also talked about the 20-meter double sideband rig. You know, when I fired that thing up here on the bench, when I blew the dust off it, this is the 20-meter, uh, the, the sometimes 17-meter rig, I made two contacts right off the bat. <laughs> I mean, there was a guy, I'm running, I'm running like, two watts double sideband on 20 meters i hear this guy calling cq for parks on the air right i don't care about parks on the air but i with i grab my little sony walkman microphone this is a microphone from a sony walkman and i call him and he comes right back he says, oh yeah you're okay you're five eight five eight you know five eight five seven here in you know west virginia or someplace so then i wait tune around again i hear another station another parks on the air station calling call him I'm calling, talking to a guy up in Connecticut. Two tries, two watts, double sideband, two contacts. I figured I better quit while I'm ahead, so I put the thing back on the shelf. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was fun. Another rig. This is the rig that I'm really working on now, Pete. You, you and I have been talking about it. The legend. The myth buster. And this really is all 
your fault, Pete Giuliano, because you were the one who told me, alerted me to the VFO that was being sold on eBay. And it was the VFO out of a, a Yesu FT-101B. Built like a it, battleship. Built, yeah, it is. It's great. You wanted me to get it just because of the gears around the capacitor. But when the thing showed up, it had all the circuitry and it was in pristine condition and it's got the amplifier, it's got the whole oscillator, the whole VFO circuitry in there intact. So I said, wow, this is pretty good. And I started thinking, what can I build with this? And around this time, we were talking again about the, the 9 megahertz, 5 megahertz combination and how this can get you both 80 or 75 and 20 meters. And I remember... I, I first started thinking about this when somebody sent me a 9 megahertz filter, right? Not a 9 megahertz VFO. They sent me the 9 megahertz filter. And I said, aha, I can do it. I could be on 80 lower sideband and 20 upper sideband, and it'll be great. And I won't even have to switch the carrier oscillator. I won't have to switch filters. The miracle of sideband inversion will help. Steve Snortrosen Smith out there in California was the one who came and poured water on my parade. He said, no, no, it's seductive. You may think you can do it, but you can't. Now, if you switch them around and you have a 9 megahertz VFO and a 5 megahertz filter, then you can do it. So that's what I'm building. I'm going to take that VFO that you told me to buy that runs around 9 megahertz, and I have built a monster filter around 5.2 megahertz. I think I showed you a picture of it. 10 poles, 10 crystals. It's a monster. My goal is to have skirts so steep that not even the SDR guys will be able to recognize that I'm running an old-fashioned HDR rig. It's looking good, but it's it's still got a lot of work to get, work to do on it. I'm learning a lot. I'm 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 integrating into the project the Nano VNA because as a home brewer, one of the problems I've always had is that it's difficult for me to measure the input or the output impedance of a stage. You know, I build something and I see in the article that it says that the stage should have an input impedance of 50 ohms or, or 1,000 ohms. And I really have to take the, the designer's word for it. I, it's difficult for me to measure that. How do you measure the impedance of a stage, unless you have a vector network analyzer, which until recently cost, you know, many, many kilobucks. Now, for 50 bucks, we all have the Nano VNA. And what I have been trying to do is hook up the Nano VNA and take a look into the amplifier circuits that I have in front of the, the crystal filter and coming after the crystal filter to see if I could get an accurate understanding of what kind of impedance the, the crystal filter will be facing as it looks into these different amplifiers at either end. I, I, think, the, I think I've figured it out. Now, the, the problem with this is unless you use the, the Nano VNA correctly, you could get wildly inaccurate readings. So I'm kind of, it's, it's kind of an interesting learning process. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm working with the termination insensitive amplifiers that Wes Hayward and Bob Kopke wrote about back in 2009. They wrote about this because they were trying to encourage people who were building BIDX-style transceivers 
to incorporate termination insensitive amplifiers in there because this is a better way to make sure that your your crystal filter is getting the right impedance at, at either end, which is really important. Also, they talked about how these amplifiers will help you get the proper impedance for your mixer circuits, where it's also important. But, okay, so I build the TIAs like I used to do, and then instead of just saying, yeah, okay, well, the article says that they should both be 50 ohms at either end, and that you know the impedance at the input won't be affected by the impedance that you hang off the output. That's the termination in sensitivity. But now I'm going to actually test it. I'm going to take the nano VNA. I have been doing this. I take the nano VNA and I hook, up, hook it up there and I look at the Smith chart presented by the nano VNA and I can see what the input impedance is. Again, I, I have to be careful because I want to make sure that I'm using the nano VNA properly, that I'm, I'm calibrating it properly, that I have the right kind of patch cord leads going into it so it's so it's given an accurate reading but it is it's kind of fun and it's it's i think it's it's educational so i'm, I'm at the stage where i've built the filter 10 poles using dishal and the aade um, software to tell you for and the g3 uur method the little method where you switch in about 30 35 pf and you take a look at how it how much it shifts how much it shifts and from that you can get the, the the motional parameters the motional capacitance and from the motional capacitance and the frequency you get the motional inductance right now all you need really is the equivalent series resistance chuck adams has a great technique for this where you just put it at the resonant frequency and then you you look on your scope and you set it you set the signal generator at, say, I don't know, you know, 10 millivolts, right? Then you take the crystal out, replace it with a pot, you know, about a 200-ohm pot. And then with the same scope, the same signal coming out, you adjust the pot to 10 millivolts on the scope. Then you take the pot out, you measure the pot. That gives you the equivalent series resistance. Brilliant. I mean, it, it's, it's really pretty cool. So anyway, I get the parameters and I start plugging them in to Dishall and to the AADE software. And they're going to tell you what kind of capacitors you need to put across the crystals to get the band pass that you want. So I'm shooting for about 2.7 kcs wide. Uh, and I know with 10 poles, the skirts are going to be really steep. So I plug it in there and I get one set of values and I think they were calling for like 56 PF. I'm using the cone topology. The, the benefit of the cone is that you don't have to buy a whole bunch of different capacitor values. All, all the, the capacitors are the same. Constant K, all right? So I plug them in there and I, I sent you the picture when I first built this filter and the skirts looked really good. But you know what didn't look good? The... Um, the bandwidth, it was a little bit too tight. Using the values that I got from AADE, instead of yielding 2.7 KCs wide, it was yielding about 2.3 KCs wide, which is a little bit tight. So, hey, no problem. I go and I say, okay, I'm going to lower the capacitance a bit. I lower the capacitance a bit. I kind of play with the values in Dishall and AADE, and I send an order into Mauser. Send me, a, send me, you know, 15 capacitors 
of a lower, you know, down, going, dropping down to about 47 picofarads. So this widened it out. I'm at about, but didn't widen it, didn't widen it out quite enough. It, it widened it out to about 2.6 kcs. Still a little bit too tight. I might leave it. I might, I could live with 2.6 kcs. I mean, I'm not an enhanced single sideband kind of wide signal kind of guy. And again, I'm trying to emulate the, uh, the, the narrow filters of the enhanced SSB guys. But I did order another set of capacitors, so I might change the capacitors on this filter yet a third time. The other thing I do is I hook up the, the termination insensitive amps at both ends, and I, I calculate how much loss I have in the crystal filter. Dean asked about the insertion loss. Because it looks like there'd be a lot. Wow, there's 10 crystals sitting, and it's got to go through 10 crystals. The insertion loss on the filter is only about 2 dB. Wow. Right? Yeah. And, and that was predicted by Dishal, AADE, and my own testing on the bench. What I, what I do is I take a, I take a, a resistor. I, I've got it terminated for 50 ohms at either end with transformers. I mean, the, the, the filter itself needs something like 500 ohms. It's got a 500 ohm characteristic impedance. So it needs 500 ohms at each end. But I make these little transformers so it goes 500 to 50, 500 to 50 at both 19 sides. 19 turns tapped at the sixth turn. Yeah, exactly right. Right, exactly right. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't tap it. I just put a secondary winding yeah. at six turns. Yeah, right. You got it. So <clears throat> I, I, what, the way I, 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 I'd measure gain is I'll take a 50 ohm resistor and put the signal generator across it and the scope across it adjust the signal generator again to about 10 maybe maybe 50 millivolts then take the signal generator off put the signal generator across the input of the crystal filter and put another put the same 47 ohm resistor at the other end of the filter and then measure how much voltage appears on the same resistor at the other end of the filter with the same input from the signal generator. So I'm looking at signal just across a 47 ohm resistor at versus signal going through the filter and then appearing at the same 47 ohm difference. resistor. It was 2 dB. So it, uh, 2 dB loss, 2 dB insertion loss. And then each of the TIAs, the termination insensitive amplifiers that I'm using, are, are supposed to be at around 23 dB gain, all right? And sure enough, I put the whole thing together and I measure it from end to end, and it's supposed to be like 43 dB, all right? And I, I end up, and then I measure it using the same technique, and I measure about 40 or 41 dB, which I think is, is close enough. I mean, you might have some losses in there because of the transformers or some other mismatches or something in there, but close enough. And so I'm, I'm thinking that I'm, I'm getting there. And it's good because I'm, I'm kind of improving my own kind of testing techniques and everything else. I, I, I want to really believe the nano VNA, but again, I don't know whether I'm using it right or not. And so it'd be really great because it would give us the opportunity to look into those circuits and actually measure input impedance, output impedance in a way that's really important. So I'm hoping that it, that it works out. Anyway, I've been having having fun with that. Yeah, and you know, 40 dB is a lot of gain across two stages in a, in a filter. I know, but you know, when you when you read about how people, when they design mm. amplifiers, they talk about, like in the in the IF chain, they talk about sometimes putting like 80 dB in the, in the IF system. 
and, and quite a, quite a bit. So mm. I don't know. I mean, you think forty is too much? No, 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 no. I, I'm saying for such little circuitry. Yeah. You're achieving a lot of gain. No, um, for instance, if you use just a simple plusy two transistors, either end, yeah. Yeah. they're good for about 17, so it gives you 34. And and having only 2 dB loss in the filters is kind of amazing. Typically, you see about 6. So yeah. instead of 34, you'd see somewhere around 30, 30 yeah. dB. So yeah. you're, you're achieving 10 dB gain. Yeah. With the TIA amplifiers and a ten-pole filter, which which is a lot, and and I'm of the view, I think I vote with Hayward, P put the put the gain in the audio amplifier stages, yeah, so you don't yeah. generate noise up in the front end in the filter. Definitely not in the uh, yeah yeah okay definitely not in the um, in the RF amplifiers. All right, so anyway, good good words of wisdom there, Pete. Anyway, that's what I've been working on. On the bench, and let me now, let me now just turn. I'm going to turn to the solder. It's time for solder smoke mailbag. I think I am. Let me see. Hold on. Let me check the list here. Dishal. Yep. 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 All the stuff we we're going to talk about. Oh yeah. I've also been using the Nano VNA to see the pass band on the crystal filter. That's a really useful uh, part of the Nano VNA. I could just put the the input there and sweep it. That's how I know. That the the filter is a little bit too narrow or a little bit too broad. Anyway, we uh, we we can check on that. So so the Nano VNA has been really useful. This rig that I'm building for uh, 75 and 20, I'm going to call it. I call it the legend, but I'm going to call it the MythBuster, and it's because of this myth that I was laboring under earlier on where I thought that I could just get magically 75 LSB and 20 USB with this thing. With this, the, with, with the myth, the myth, I, I, I was I was talking about the myth and why I'm calling this rig the myth buster. But I actually looked back, we were discussing this in solder smoke back in 2012. 2012, I, I, somebody had sent me the, the 9 megahertz filter, and I said, aha, I'm going to make this rig. It's going to be great. It's going to be LSB on 75, USB on 20, yay. And and Steve, like I said, Steve Storch, Roger Smith wrote back to me and said, uh-uh, not so fast. You can't do it that way. And then I put it up on the blog, and we had one or two guys come back and just sort of say, no, 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 you can, you can. And there was this big argument about it. So the argument continues to go on. But anyway, I'm going to build... The MythBuster rig, Pete, and it's all because it's all your fault because you told me to get this VFO. Anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, well, I think there's a little bit of there's a little bit of couching that goes on with the, with the five megahertz IF and a nine megahertz VFO and a, and an upper sideband BFO. You get twenty meters upper sideband, and when you use that combination, you're going to get you're going to copy lower sideband signals on 75 meters. And I said copy lower sideband because you get a sideband inversion and you have to have the upper sideband crystal to demodulate it. So that's why you're copying lower sideband on 75 yeah, meters. Yeah, but the key yeah, that's right. You're right. And because you have and, to have an upper you have to have an you have to change the crystal. The, uh, yeah, the, if you the, do it the, the other way, side. you you yeah. do copy lower sideband, but you have an upper sideband crystal. That's so, right, right, right. So right, with right. the with the nine VFO and a five IF, one crystal, one crystal, one crystal will let you copy upper sideband on twenty, 
and lower sideband in 75. But you do get lower sideband with the, the with the other way around, except you have this upper sideband crystal. It's not going to demodulate. It. So, <laughs> that's right. So that's the, that's the difference. <laughs> there you go. All right, <clears throat> Pete. We have a really really good mailbag, and there's been a lot of a lot of nice mail coming coming in. So let's get right to it. Wait um, a minute. Oh, that's right. What are you going to remind me of? Your your T-shirt. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll talk about that now. That's right. I got. Wait a minute. Shameless Commerce Division. First, the Shameless Commerce Division. Yeah. All right. So Pete's reminded me. You gotta. We gotta do the Shameless Commerce Division here. Um, look, uh, the you know I think one of the the best ways to help solder smoke is to go to the uh, Amazon.com. Uh, add up in the upper right hand corner we were, we've been talking bad about bezos but we found out that he's kind of a space nerd he's volunteered he's going to go be the first guy to fly up into space with his 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 uh his spaceship so even makes us feel better more better about bezos but anyway you see the guy that paid 20 million bucks <laughs> to ride along with, with <laughs> well bezos is going too anyway uh um anyway have have jeff bezos send us some money just whatever you want to buy Maseratis, McLarens, you know, big expensive, uh, you know, uh, uh, vector network analyzers, a whatever. Real vector network. Real, yeah, and, spe and, and spectrum analyzers too. Yeah, yeah. Um, not the not the fifty dollar versions. The you know the more the five thousand. Roden Schwartz. Yeah, those good, those good ones. Get them and through the upper right hand corner of the Solder Smoke blog page. Just start your search there, and it'll come. It'll come. The money will come our way. Also consider being a, uh, a Patreon sponsor, a Patreon patron. We have that up in the upper left-hand corner of the blog. But something else, sort of similar to sort of promotional activity came because a box arrived yesterday. Look at this, Pete. Look at the size of this box. Look how many of them there are. They're spilling out. There must be 200 of them in here. I have one attached to my T-shirt for Pete's benefit. I'll, I'll I'll put a picture of it up on the blog, but it's a sticker, and the sticker was developed by our friend Jesse. November five, Juliet Hotel Hotel. Jesse made up this wonderful sticker, and it's a small sticker, and it says it, it's a quote from Pete Giuliano, the immortal words: "If you know stuff, you can do stuff." <laughs> and then he's got he's got a symbol. He's got a a wrench and a soldering iron crossed just like crossed rifles and it says below it IBEW the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards that's us Pete I don't know if you noticed did you see the Morse code on the wrench no no I didn't I if didn't, you look didn't. at the Morse code he has Morse code on the wrench IBEW IBEW <clears throat> in Morse and then along the bottom soldersmoke.blogspot.com okay these are really cool stickers i have one on my t-shirt i put one up on my amplifier here so it's permanently a part of the station now i we were thinking what should we do with these things because you're going to get a batch of them too you're going to have the west coast batch i've got the east coast batch i think that we the solder smoke community should make good use of these stickers Obviously, it's fun to have one in the shack. Little inspiration, a little bit of solder smoke memorabilia, solder smoke bling here in the shack. But I think we should also look for non non vandalism opportunities 
to place these stickers in places where it might influence people, people who might be interested in this kind of stuff. I don't know, physics labs, you know, double E laboratories, um, Hamfest locations, electronic stores, radio clubs. Like this. Where? Radio clubs. Radio clubs. Just take one of these stickers and put it there. So somebody will start looking at it and say, hey, what, what is this business about if you know stuff, you can do stuff? I-B-E-W and the soldersmoke.blogspot, they'll be sucked in. I could, I could hear them come. Soon they'll be subscribing to Sprat Magazine and they'll be fully on board with the I-B-E-W. So let's do it this way. If anybody wants a couple of these stickers. Self-addressed stamped envelope. Send a self-addressed stamped envelope to me. You can find my address on qrz.com and I will send you at least two of these stickers from Jesse. Now, the deal is you could put one for your personal use in your own individual ham shack, but then you got to find a, an appropriate place to stick it so that it will get somebody. I mean, it could, it, we're very kind of broad-minded in what might be an appropriate place. A bar, a bar in Silicon Valley where we know that techno-nerdy kind of people go. Put it up there on the mirror in the bar. You never know the influence that these, these stickers could, could have. Thank you very much, Jesse, for sending them to us, for immortalizing you know, Pete's observation about knowing stuff and doing stuff. And we will, we will get them out there. They will be launched <laughs> around the world. <laughs> I love it. But, thanks, Jesse. Hey, All right, the, the mail maybe, we need, maybe we need to give it to JPL or NASA. There or, you go. It should be at JPL. We'll put it on, put it put it on, on the, one of the rovers. Yeah. Heading out to Mars. Yeah. Right, yeah. Kind of, we stick it on a, on a telescope. The James yeah. Webb telescope's getting ready to go up. Yeah. I, don't, I would go. hate to think it'd be bad if it goofed the whole thing up. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that. All right, Pete, Sutter Smoke Mailbag. We got we got some really good stuff here. Bill N2VSD wrote to tell us that he was inspired by the podcast to start melting solder, start home brewing. Uh, we seem to have gotten a lot of that. It may have, it may have been our our work during the the pandemic during the lockdown. Moses, what a great name, Moses K eight T I Y. He really was was inspired by the whole thing, and he has subscribed to Spat, to Sprat, and is melting solder in earnest. As he said, he also listens to the podcast with his two year old son. The two year old son likes listening to it too. All right, very good. Thanks for writing to us, Moses, and hope you continue to enjoy the show. Well, he is that the one that says "crank it in, Ralph." The kid says "crank it in." The, the Ralph? kid, the kid, the kid chimes in and says, "Ralph, crank it in." <laughs> <laughs> wonderful stuff um then we got an email from a guy who doesn't even have a license yet he's but i said he's from the uk but i said he should be given a license just based on this project he took yeah. an old satellite receiver and that he didn't even really know much about but just started taking parts out of it and then inspired by solder smoke he built a 20 meter receiver and got it on the air got it working we put a we put a post up this on 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 the blog. I want I want I think I think a broader audience. I'm trying to get it on Hackaday, but Tom's got to send me some stuff that we can link to. So, but Tom, it's really got an amazing LED display. LED it. display got the whole thing, and this was his first project. Yeah. He'd never built anything before. <laughs> Whoa, watch this guy. He's he's got he's got real potential here. 
Um, Adam, N0ZIB, yeah, he began his message with you know, kind of a sentiment that we, we do get fairly often. He begins, curse you, solder smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we get it in even harsher terms. Your design for- sucks. <laughs> <laughs> the code doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, no. But he says he he, uh, he thanks to us. He has subscribed uh, to set, to Sprat, and now that he's receiving Sprat, he feels obligated to build many of the projects in that fine magazine. So this is why he's cursing us for condemning him to a a path of homebrew righteousness. Hey, hey, um, hey by the by the way, if I can interrupt you here, they're going to have another virtual convention, Sprat, September fourth and fifth. That's just a Kind of wow. let you know here. To crank that into your schedule, just like they did last year. Oh, excellent! We'd have to we'll have to tune in for that one. Very good. Um, we got we got an email from Germany, DL six ID Joe. He wrote in in response to my talking about the cicadas here, and he ta- he found a, a clip where Gene Shepard, uh, way back when, was talking about. He thought it was cicadas, seventeen year insects. But what Shepard was describing, I found out, was really locusts, 17-year locusts. And he described, you know, seeing 17-year locusts come out and attack, I guess, his town out there in Indiana, Hammond, Indiana, when he was a kid. The cicadas we got are far more benign. They, they didn't destroy any vegetation. They don't appear like a big cloud. They're kind of annoying after a while. They're gone now. Good thing. People are getting kind of sick of them. But... Um, uh, locusts were um, are, are also on a 17-year cycle. They also under the ground, but they they behave far differently than the cicadas that we had. We're not going to see our cicadas now for another 17 years. Good thing. But um, sort of related to this, Joe asked about uh, some questions about the buzz knot, buzz knot um, noise blanker in the SST. I got a number of questions about that, but I, I, I tried to to help help these guys out. A lot of guys are interested in the SST. A lot of guys have home home brewed their own SST. Paul Taylor made his own SST. Many others have done the same thing. Really, a cool circuit, and uh, I guess uh, you know that that kind of replication, as you as you know, Pete, is is a, is a, a really great form of, uh, of of flattery. Really good. All right, Jason N two N L Y. Um, he he wrote. I had posed the question about. If you uh, if you have a VFO that runs around eight or nine megahertz, and you want to get on eighty and twenty, what's the appropriate IF? And I mistakenly said that nobody gave us the right answer. I was wrong. Jason N two N L Y. He got the right answer, but he sent it to me on Twitter on a direct message on Twitter, which I didn't see. Because I'm, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not really good with Twitter. But anyway, Jason got it right. Thank you very much. And another guy got it right, and I defamed him. Peter, VK2EMU, he got it right also. I did see his message, but somehow I said that he got it wrong. He got it right. I, I was under the influence of pain medication at the time because of my, my bad back and leg problem, which is completely resolved, by the way. But, Peter, I, I blame the meds. Hey, hey, did you hear that they're in lockdown again down in Australia? I know, and a lot of, a lot of places, too. Yeah, he was saying they, they put the mask back on. They canceled a lot of events. It really hardened the young people. They were just 
hoping this stuff was over, but there they are again. There we are again. Yep, I know. Good luck to them down there. Uh, we speaking of South Africa. We were talking about South Africa earlier. Wouter, ZS1KE, uh, he he tried to come up with an explanation of the uh, LSB USB convention uh, convention. The why do we operate LSB below 10 megahertz and USB above 10 megahertz? And he repeated something that that I've seen many times, and that is this: um, there was an ITU regulation that dealt with uh, transatlantic telephone circuits using like independent sidebands, like four independent sidebands over two channels. And they were trying to prevent interference on these commercial circuits. So they decided LSB, USB, this convention. And that's sometimes pointed to as the reason for this kind of convention i i don't really quite buy it the when you read the reg it doesn't really have anything to do with ham radio and one thing about this regulation if it was actually the regulation you would have seen something in qst or other magazines saying oh okay because of this regulation we have to do it this way i think it's still a mystery why we have this convention i just know that this the the myth about a 9 megahertz signal generator or a 5.2 megahertz signal generator and a 9 megahertz filter is not quite it. So um, that's CCIR 294 is what you got to find. Yeah, I I found it and I didn't, I'm not quite sure that that that's it. Um, We still, it's still a mystery why we have this convention. We don't really even have the convention as we know, because people who operate on AM are on both sidebands, right? (laughs) So, and you can go on upper sideband on 75 meters. It's completely legal. It's, you know, it's just not done. You know, you can if you want. It just irritates the 75 meter crowd. (laughs) It's deeply painful for them. I don't know why. Mm. Um, Let's see who else we got from Dan, af seven O. Uh, is building a Michigan Mighty Might George Dobbs style on a board, Ladybird style. I think I put this up on the blog. Really good stuff. Thanks for writing in about that, uh, Dan. Farhan, we, you mentioned conventions. The, um, the four days in May, they had a virtual, a virtual event, and the videos have been posted. Uh, the Farhan has one which was really great. I mean, really good. Talking about kind of combining SDR and HDR, taking his micro bit X and adding SDR signal processing circuitry to it. Really good stuff. Uh, check that one out. Also, uh, Dino, our friend down there in Williamsburg, has a great piece on, on inexpensive uh, uh, test gear that you could use. And Han Summers uh, wrote in about uh, low-cost, low-impact uh, round the world ballooning and some of the circuitry that they use with that. I really liked all three of those FDIM videos. And I think if you just go to YouTube and search for FDIM archive, you'll you'll find these videos. We got a any go more ahead. word on the on his uh, sideband version of the nope. CW? I haven't heard anything anything from him on the the QSX. It's been you know I haven't heard anything about that at all. So I'm not sure where where Hans is on that. Um, Jack, NG2Y, uh, is, um, I think I got his call correct. Anyway, our friend Jack here from, from Northern Virginia has actually put together, he was the one who built a Michigan Mighty Might, and now he's built a 10-minute transmitter, and he actually went out and made a, a contact with it. He actually made had a QSO with his 10-meter 10 10 transmitter 
on 40 meters. Fine business, Jack. Uh, I think it's NG2E. NG2E, I think is the call. Uh, Farhan. Um, oh, yeah, Farhan sent us a nice note that he... <laughs> it's it's always amazing when when you can actually share some information that a guy like Farhan finds useful because Farhan, like you, Pete, he already knows everything. I mean, it's it's the, the the electronic knowledge is really impressive, but he needed some info on how best to tap, uh, put screws threads in a piece of metal, and he was googling googling, and he came to the video in which I described how you told me how to do this and how to put the oil and turn it a little bit, make sure you put enough oil. And so Farhan's, Farhan did not follow the advice. And of course he broke, broke a tap. He broke the tap. <laughs> and so he's he, 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 looking back on it. He said, it's, it's true. Always listen to Pete. And I told him, I said, Farhan, that's it. You got to always listen to Pete. All right. But it was cool that he, he went back and, uh, and, 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 and consulted with our videos. We're honored. All right. And then, oh, um, um, Peter, OK1RP, OK Oscar Kilo One Radio Papa in the Czech Republic wrote it. Wrote to me. He wrote. He posted on on Facebook that he needed a schematic for the Buzznot noise blanker for the SST. This is pretty esoteric stuff. I mean, the SST is an old, you know, transceiver from the mid '90s, and then like an adjunct, they put out this little noise blanker called the Buzznot. And OK1RP was intrigued when he heard about it. And he obviously wanted to build one, but he needed information on the circuit. Now, uh, Bob Scott, KD4EBM, had sent me the complete documentation, including the documentation on the buzz knot. So I pulled out my phone. I took pictures and sent them to Peter at his QRZ.com address. So it was kind of cool to be able to provide this support to, uh, to a, a ham far away was trying to, to figure out how to how to get a buzz knot going <laughs> over there. I hope it works out for you, Peter. Also, how many Peters do we have? So many Pete's and Peters. It's it, it seems to be you, you know there seems to be a connection there. That's all I can say. Pete, we are reaching the end of this edition of Solder Smoke. Do you have anything you'd like to share with our listening audience before we? Wrap this one up. No, but uh, if you feel so inclined to get bit by mosquitoes, take your rig outdoors and operate field day. I I might I might actually feel a temptation. I have my NFED half wave. I might go out there with the SST. I don't know. You never know. Might it might the spirit might or move the double sideband rig. That'd be fun. The that'd be fun too. It'd be a blast from the past. All right, yeah. but but probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Happy field day, everybody. Yeah, hey, one one final comment here. I I've been still cruising around looking at stuff that's coming out. A lot of a lot of new a lot of new radios coming out on the market. A lot of them are SDR. So I mean, come about Christmas, we ought to see lots and lots of new stuff hitting the marketplace. Just amazing. Good good times. A good time to be in ham radio, Pete. Yes, absolutely. All right, thanks for getting up so early in the morning out there on the left coast, Pete. Yeah, good talking you bet. to you. Yeah, take care. Have a good week. We'll see you. We'll see you. 7-3 from Northern Virginia. 7-3 from the left coast. Ciao. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. 
send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Soldersmoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Soldersmoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!